Inspired by the C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity, this podcast is about why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. Today we're going to continue walking through the days of creation in Genesis 1. So some general observations about day 2 and day 3A is what I'm going to call it, 3A. So, so far, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the waters or the face of the deep in some translations. And the spirit of God was hovering over those waters. So you, here's the condition, that the earliest condition of the heavens and the earth. You have darkness and this seemingly like a sphere or a water ball, okay? So the first thing God deals with is darkness. He says, let there be light. And so today, we're going to see how God deals with the water. Now, if you ever have questions, you can always email me, bearchristianity at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram at the Real Bear Martin. Twitter at bear for Christos. And then now for our special little segment, A Bear in the Woods. Last week, my by the time the episode released, my beloved Braves were out of the playoffs. So I'm a big Atlanta Braves fan, and they are out. They finished the season, the regular season that is, with just hot as fire. They swept the Mets, won the division. So I was really excited, but they ran into the red hot Philadelphia Phillies. The Phillies are killing it. And so uh, anyway, so it didn't turn out well for them, but it got me thinking about, you know, just playing sports growing up. I saw this so many times, like personally and also with teams I'm on. It is crazy how the same team in baseball can be really bad and lose a lot of games and then all of a sudden just be really good. Um, and it just seems like things sort of come, you know, fall into place and they get hot at the right time. The best players, though, in sports are able to minimize these cold streaks. One thing that happened to me my senior year last semester. So I played college baseball the very last season, the the last semester of college, I had to take an elective, an upper level elective to, you know, fulfill those final little requirements in order to graduate. And so I was looking at the possibilities and I decided to take sports psychology. And it turns out that I should have taken this class in like elementary school. <laughs> I wish playing a playing sports, I really wish I would have been exposed to this type of stuff a lot earlier. So the uh, the good news is that after taking that class, my golf game greatly improved. But my baseball career was basically over at that point, so it did <laughs> I didn't really get to benefit from sports psychology. But that class helped me to think about uh, the way I was thinking when I was playing sports, and it just I was instantly a better player and like I said an instantly a better golfer. I used to lose my mind on the golf course. I mean just absolutely lose it. I've done all the bad things on the golf course. But uh, if you're a, a young athlete or you're a parent of an athlete, consider just sort of talking with them about what's going on in their head when they're playing sports and this uh, this area of sports psychology, because that may really help. Anyway, that is just my opinion, and this has been A Bear in the Woods. 
Day two of creation, we, we read about that in Genesis 1, verses 6 through 8. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. Now, this word for this word expanse is also trans, it's translated several different ways. And so I have 11 different English translations available to me, and it's translated this way expanse, firmament, dome, space, vault and vaulted dome. So that those are all different ways that that same Hebrew word is translated. Now, I'm going to talk about two Hebrew words that can be translated heaven. The first one is the specific Hebrew word that, that's translated expanse here in the ESV in Genesis 1, and it is the Hebrew word rakia, or, you know, if you're going to spell it in English, R-A-Q-I-A, rakia. Now, rakia is only used 17 times in the Bible. And it, it means to, to spread out. Uh, the root of that word actually is to spread out. Let me give you, the root is raka, and it is found in Isaiah 44, 24. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. So that spreading out is the root of rakia, which is raka. So the root of rakia, which is raka, it, it, it talks about stretching out, like a stretching a tent into place, or um, a metal worker, like hammering metal out to flatten it. So it is, it is a stretching out. Um, now, this does not mean, I'm just going to mention this really quick. This does not mean, this root, this this word, rakia, does not mean that the earth is flat, okay? So some people, some some Christians will say, the Bible teaches the earth is flat, so that's why I believe it. This does not mean the earth is flat. And then some people that are antagonistic to Christianity will say, your Bible teaches the earth is flat. It, it does not mean that. I just want to mention that really quick. Dr. Jason Lyle, who I've mentioned before, he has a PhD, and in, in he's an astrophysicist. He's also a Christian. Um, he has a, a video on this. He's like a he's he's being interviewed on a podcast in this uh, video, and I'll link it. And he goes through all the Earth is flat arguments and that sort of thing from a Christian perspective. So I'll link that for you. Anyway, uh, this this word rakia doesn't it does not imply that the Earth is flat. In the ESV, it's again, it's only used 17 times in the Bible. So in the ESV translation, it is translated expanse most often. That's found in Genesis 1, of course. And it, God is going to call this expanse heaven, or it's also translated sky. So we'll see that rakia in, in the ESV version is translated expanse most of the time. Sometimes it's translated sky, and sometimes it's translated heaven, just depending on the, the context. But later in Genesis 1, the, God places lights in the expanse of the heavens, meaning the sun, moon, and stars. Also, the birds will fly in the expanse, or the rakia. So th this, this is the word here. This is how that word is used in Genesis 1. It's also translated expanse in Ezekiel 1. So in Ezekiel, he has a vision of these living creatures. Ezekiel 1, 22 and 23 says, over the heads of the living creatures, there was the likeness of an expanse shining like all inspiring crystal spread out above their heads. 
and under the expanse their wings were stretched out straight, one toward another. And each creature had two wings covering its body. A few verses down, Ezekiel 1, verses 25 and 26. And there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was the likeness of a human appearance. So here, this expanse in Ezekiel 1 is separating, just like in Genesis 1, it's separating the waters below from the waters above. In Ezekiel 1, it is separating the living creatures from the throne of God. Now, I mentioned that rakia is also translated sky. In Daniel 12, 3, it says this, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And it's translated heavens as well. Psalm 150, verse 1, Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens. And that, again, that's the word rakia. Now, rakia is the first Hebrew word I wanted you to know, and that's translated expanse or firmament most commonly. Um, now, the other general, more general Hebrew word for heavens is shamayim, shamayim. And again, that is the more general word for heaven because it is used 418 times in the Bible. So rakia is only used 17 times. Shamayim is used 418 times. And this word is, it, it already, it has a connection to water in the word because the Hebrew word for water is mayim and heavens is shamayim. Okay, so this already has a connection to water. And also in Genesis 1.8, it says this, And God called the expanse, rakia, heaven, shamayim. So there's the, the linkage between these words. God calls the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And then th these words are also linked together in Psalm 19.1. Remember, I talked about Hebrew poetry and the the key mark of Hebrew poetry is going to be parallelism. A lot of times in Hebrew poetry, there's two statements, and they're basically saying the same thing in different ways. And so listen to this verse, Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. So here, heavens is shamayim, okay? The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky, that's rakia, Okay, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So there you have both of those words again linked together in this this Hebrew poetry. So why does why does Genesis one why does God use both words? Why doesn't he just call it Shemaim and 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 that's the end of it? Why does why do we also have to use this word rakia? Well, my thought is that rakia, meaning expanse is a more specific word. It's not used nearly as much in the Bible, but it is a more specific word and it emphasizes separation. Because that's what that's the general theme of what's being emphasized here early on in Genesis 1. Separation is is a major theme. Light is separated from darkness. God calls the light day, he calls the dark night, so day is separated from night. We have the waters below separated from the waters above by way of the expanse. And then they're they're called it's called earth below and heaven above. So heaven is separated from earth. And when we get into day three, we're gonna see that the waters 
below are separated from the dry land. So th- there, this theme of separation is the major emphasis so far in the days of creation. Now, biblically, this seems to be the way God works. If we think about separation and then filling, that is that that seems to be the way God works. God separates us from the world and then fills us. Here's some examples. Abraham. God calls Abraham out from his family, his culture. He he calls him out. He separates him out. He he sets him apart as holy. And again, the the a very basic definition of holy is just that, set apart, unique. So in that way, God is God is holy. Um, just because he is creator and we are creation. He is set apart from us. But if we are holy, we are set apart. Christians are holy because they are set apart from the world. God calls Abraham out. He separates him out from his family. Abraham is a sojourner. And but but then God is going to fill Abraham. He's, he's going to make his descendants as numerous as the stars. He will be a blessing to all the nations. If we think about this separation and filling, we think about the nation of Israel. They'll, they're separated out from Egypt. God calls them out of Egypt, and they are commanded to stay separate from other pagan nations. They're they're not they're they're told that they should not intermarry. Um, there, there should be no idolatrous worship. So God has called them out as a people that are supposed to be holy to him. But they're, they're separated out. But then through Israel, the Messiah comes and the, the earth is filled with true worshipers of God. And so this, this separation and then filling is, you know, can be seen as a general theme of the way God is working throughout the Bible. All right. Now, back to the expanse. Again, in in Genesis 1, it separates one thing from another, the waters above and the waters below. Now, there's lots of like scientific speculation on what is going on here. Uh, Some people say that the waters above are like a water vapor canopy. Uh, Maybe that's why People were able to live longer early, you know, before Noah's flood, all that stuff. Um, I'm not getting into all of the scientific speculation because Genesis 1 is not a science text textbook. Now, hear me very clear. I am not trying to um I'm not trying to deny what the Bible is teaching. I'm not trying to take the easy way out. But the simple fact of it is that Genesis 1 is not a scientific textbook. Um, you know, when you explain things to kids, you are ex- you are explaining things in general terms. It's not that you're false. It's not that you're wrong. But you're not giving every little specific detail. You're just you're giving them the the main picture because you you have a certain thing in mind that you want them to grasp hold of. You don't really care if they don't get all the little tiny details. And so I think that's what's going on here in Genesis one. Let's think about the purpose of Scripture. Why does God give us the Bible? I've talked about this several times before, but God gives us the Bible to reveal Himself to us. It's through the Bible that we know who God is. We know the nature and character of God. Again, God has revealed to us in extremely general terms in creation. 
That and that's Romans one talks about that. But the Bible it, it reveals the nature and character of God. It reveals mankind's sin. It reveals our need for a savior. It reveals the savior, Jesus Christ. And it gives us hope for all those who believe in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. It also proclaims that there will be judgment for those who do not. So when we think about the ultimate purposes of the Bible, it is not to explain the the science behind nature. It is teaching us about the God who created that very nature. So it's not a detailed biological account of the universe. Oftentimes in the Bible, the, the authors... They're writing in in language of observation or description. And so they're they're just writing as the author is experiencing life. Uh, several times in the Bible, it's it's uh, we're told that God regretted his decision. God doesn't regret his decisions. God does whatever he wants to do. And so and 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 he knows the future, the past, he he knows it all. And so he doesn't make mistakes or regret decisions like as if he as if his initial decision was a bad decision. No, this is simply the author writing as he is as the author, the the earthly author is experiencing life. Now, so so when we when we think about Genesis 1, there are waters above and here's the key point it is all controlled by God. So God allows it to rain when he wants it to rain. And God opens the windows of heaven. So Deuteronomy 28, 12, the Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations but you shall not borrow. So there's a promise here that in this context, God is going to bless the nation of Israel with rain. It is, again, Genesis 1 is not a scientific textbook. It is teaching us that God created all things and he is Lord over all things. He deserves our worship because he is creator and we are creation. So we it's it's not going to explain how rain forms and and meteorology and and things like that it is it is talking about the sovereignty of god now also i covered this in earlier episodes your your ability to study science and even think about meteorology depends on the god who created you Logic and reason flows from the very nature of God, and the uniformity of created things, the uniformity of nature, is upheld by God. And so Genesis 1 is getting, it's going deeper than just scientific knowledge. It is teaching us about the God who made all things. Now, I'm going to cover day 3a, okay? And I'm going to pick it up with the end of day 2, Genesis 1, verses 8 through 10. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Now, that's the, the, the last phrase is the main thing I want to talk about here with day 3A. God saw that it was good. Think about the, the current condition. So God separates the waters above and the waters below, and he's, then he separates dry land from the water on the earth. Then he says, this is good. So before he separated the dry land from the water, there is no pronouncement 
that that things were good. In day two, we don't have a pronouncement uh, that it, it was good. When it was just water covering the entire earth, there, there, God does not say it is good. It is only after there is separation and dry land appears that it is good. Now, the earth covered with water and the the you know the ocean, the the deep water. It does not necessarily mean that things were evil. Um, so in Genesis one, when we think about darkness and uh, the face of the deep, the deep waters. That does it does not mean that there is inerrant evil in that. Now later on in the Bible, there will be the, the the authors will use language of darkness and deep waters to imply evil um, or sin, those types of things. But it does not you you can't read back into Genesis one and say, oh, it must have been evil, as if God had to conquer some sort of evil force in order to create. That is not what's being taught here. Anyway, um, so just because the earth's covered with water does not mean it's evil, but it, because God does not pronounce it as good, I think that does that implies that it is not God's uh, full intention, his final intention for the earth to be covered with water. Now, I've mentioned this in previous episodes, but oftentimes judgment in the Bible and prophecies about judgment in the Bible come with de-creation language. Creation is, is, is going in reverse. And so is there a time in the Bible when the whole earth is covered with water? Of course there is. And it is absolutely a time of judgment. We're talking about Noah's flood. And so I believe that's what's going on. That's why there's no pronouncement of, and it was good, when it's just the the waters above separated from the waters below. God doesn't say it then. Then he separates the dry land and the seas. Then he says it was good. So that's my, that's my thoughts there. Now, for Noah's flood, where did all that water come from? Genesis 7, 11 says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth. So in this first part, you have these waters that are basically suppressed underneath the earth. So the waters of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. And so you have the waters above and the waters below. Again, decreation language. They are they are merging together again. They are not separated. You have the waters below covering the entire earth and the waters that were separated above flowing down and and flooding. So again, decreation language. All right, so that's all I wanted to say about day 3A. Um, so of course we're not done with day three, but next week I'm going to break out and do kind of a special episode because I think all Christians should be prepared for a movie that's about to come out in early to mid-November, and I think it releases like in New York first, and then I'm sure it won't be long before it's on every major streaming platform. But there's a movie coming out about a supposed uh, mistranslation of a word in the Bible. And so you, every everybody should know how to defend this. 
Um, and because it, 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 if it's a really popular movie, if it becomes really popular, then there's going to be lots of different situations where this conversation could come up. And as a Christian, you should be ready. And so that's what we're going to talk about next week. Now, in our closing verse, I'm going to read two verses, and I want you to try to figure out which word this movie claims is being mistranslated. So here we go. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God.